This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Number of people in the U.S. testing positive for the virus keeps on going up and up. Another day, another 100,000 plus testing positive. So we're setting daily records now. And those records might keep going and going and uh, not in the right direction. So a do-it-yourself COVID test is getting more popular. The days of a nurse sticking something up your nose could be over soon, maybe. I like the cheek swab as the better option, right? Yes, yes. Better a cheek than a nose. The fight to treat inflammatory bowel disease may also help to stop COVID, so we will explain that connection. With the presidential election wrapping up, will Congress and the White House, whoever is there, agree on a new coronavirus Stimulus. Let's start, though, with this new wave of cases is exploding around the country. WBBM's Rob Hart talks with Bloomberg News health reporter Michelle Cortez about these numbers. The positivity rate means that the number of cases that we're collecting is actually less than the spread that's happening. So we're seeing exponential spread. And what triggered that is this move towards being inside. We're seeing the colder weather makes it easier for the virus to travel through the air. And the virus is just much more widespread. So that means in the past where you had to be with a large group of people in order to be exposed to the virus. Now, even if there's a handful of people or a couple of dozen people who are gathered together for, you know, a dinner party, for example, chances are someone there is infected. And that's what's leading to these absolutely breathtaking numbers of new infections we're seeing. Now, uh, some states are beginning to uh, reimpose restrictions on dining. Uh, That is the case uh, in some regions of Illinois. Um, Are epidemiologists, I mean, is it so widespread that basically uh, everywhere is a source of uh, COVID-19? Or is it it more or less this home-based spread and uh, not happening so much in businesses? Well, still a lot of businesses are, are closed down in terms of office spaces and whatnot. But all Also within things like restaurants and bars, that's why we're seeing a lot of these efforts to get places to close up earlier to try to kind of reduce some of that that gathering and that spread that's happening outside of houses. But you're right. It is literally everywhere across the United States now with 120,000 cases a day and over over a thousand deaths a day. The numbers are just really significant. And we're seeing places with governors saying things like, if you guys don't start staying home and start taking these actions independently, we're going to have to come back in with shutdown orders and be really severe about it. But truthfully, Rob, even individual actions are probably not going to be enough. I think that we're going to be looking at shutdowns coming across the country here this winter. There's a 99% chance of a a new administration coming into power in Washington in January, uh, uh, Biden already receiving uh, briefings on COVID. Uh, Any indications of some sort of nationwide mask mandate or nationwide uh, COVID mitigation strategy coming down the pike? Well, Biden does have a very dramatically different plan to approach coronavirus than, than President Trump has. But you have to remember that he won't actually have any power until he is inaugurated, if in fact these numbers hold up until January. And the only measures that we have are, as you point out, things like masking, social distancing, increased testing, and none of those things are immediately effective. You have to actually implement them, and then they have to be in place for a couple of weeks, if not a couple of months, before you start seeing really decreasing rates. And we see nothing slowing the outbreak until January. So, as 
as bad as we're in a situation now, we will probably be worse in the next couple of months. And then we might start seeing some of these kind of nationwide efforts to bring things down other than what the governors are doing independently. So Biden does have a different plan, but chances are it's not going to have a measurable impact until the spring at the earliest. Michelle Cortez, health reporter, Bloomberg News. Wouldn't it be nice if you could give yourself your own COVID test? That beats having someone stick a swab up your nose. One company is leading the way with a do-it-yourself COVID swab test. Agatha Basilar, vice president of field operations for Curative, which is a testing startup, has opened testing labs in several states. She talked to KCBS's Stan Bunger about her company and about the do-it-yourself test. So Curative just got its start earlier this year. Around March, there was this small group of people doing a sepsis startup. And once they saw the pandemic get going, they realized that the U.S. would not be able to meet its demand for COVID testing and decided to pivot 100%. So when I joined the company in March, for example, there were just 12 people. And now we employ over 1,500 folks across the country. We have over 80,000 testing sites, and we've almost done 6 million COVID tests. We offer an oral fluid test, so it's just the self-collected mouth swabs where you don't have to have a medical provider stick a, a swab deep into your nose. You, you call it oral fluid, and uh, the company differentiates. A lot of people say saliva or spit. You're talking, there's a subtle difference in the way you view this, mm-hmm. isn't there? Right. The saliva test is very much like a 23andMe test, if you've ever done one of those, where you have to spit into a tube and get the level of spit up to a certain mark on the tube. Whereas in our test, it's very much like putting a Q-tip like swab into your mouth and almost brushing your teeth with it. You rub it along your cheeks, your gums, the roof of your mouth, and your tongue. And what's the difference in in terms of benefit? Why why do that? Mm -hmm. So in the early days, the gold standard was the nasal pharyngeal test. That's what we had the most data on. But it requires a medical practitioner to do it to someone. So you need high-skilled labor. You also have to swap out PPE in between every application of that test. Whereas with our test, it's painless. You're just doing it in your mouth, and you can do it yourself. So it allows access to the test to reach much broader audiences. A test that people are afraid of doing, like the NP test or the brain tickler, is not very helpful when we talk about public health. Let's talk a little about uh, uh, you know, the accuracy, specificity, those, those numbers mm-hmm. around how good a test is in terms of catching what it's looking for or not coming up with a false positive. Right. So it's pretty much on par with every other gold standard test on the market. It's about 90% accurate. And what we do before someone swabs their mouth is that we ask the patient to cough deeply about three times so that it brings the fluids from their lungs into their mouth. And so you're essentially testing in two locations where the virus might reside, in your lungs and in your mouth. So we've talked a bit about the the test itself. Obviously, doing something like this is also about the back end. What's that Mm -hmm. look like? How does that work for Curative? Yeah, Curative is a full-service COVID testing company, which means that we manufacture our own test kits right in Compton, in Los Angeles. We also are the lab that, of course, processes the tests. We do the field operations. We can set up testing sites. We also have a world-class software team, mostly based out of, uh, made up of software engineers right here in San Francisco. Um, And so we also make the software that allows us to 
um, have patients sign up for an appointment, check in at the testing site, and immediately get the results by phone, uh, by text message or email in about 24 hours. So you've you've done uh, deals with a, a number of uh, states, uh, the Department of Defense, the Pentagon. Uh, how are the tests being deployed in in these situations? How are you know where are they being done? Who's being tested? Why and so mm-hmm. on? Right. With the Department of Defense, we do test many of their military bases, and it seems like we're likely to test Congress shortly. I would say our biggest field operation has been in the state of Florida, where we tested every single nursing home, and there are thousands of them in Florida. So we sent out test kits to every single nursing home and tested the residents there or the staff there every two weeks. But we also partner with local governments, mayors, counties, local public health departments to meet their testing needs. And so we can set up drive-through sites, deploy mobile vans, and we've also made a pretty nifty kiosk partnering with a design firm called Gale. There's actually one in Park Merced here in San Francisco um, where people can walk up to what looks like a big cube with people inside and swab your mouth and just complete your test in a few seconds. Yeah, I've actually seen it. It it is very cool looking. In fact, I'm thinking this would be cool even if it wasn't a place where you could go get a test. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it could be used for other medical deployment. Now you've, and you're also the, the driving the, the, the Dodger Stadium one that Mayor Garcetti in Los Angeles was behind, am I right? Exactly. That's the biggest COVID testing site in the U.S. We test about 6,000 people there a day. Uh, it's a massive operation at Dodger Stadium. And, and so is part of the throughput, the simplicity of the test, in other words, not having to have somebody with rubber gloves and the swab and, the, and all of that to do this thing? Yeah, I would say so, um, that you can just hand someone a swab, have them do it themselves. They don't have to be afraid of it. They can, it can just take truly a minute to check someone in. And then we have an amazing logistics team that will get those samples back to our lab and issue results straight out to the patient. That's Agatha Basilar. She's vice president of field operations at Curative. Coming up after this short break, doctors find a connection between covid and a very unpleasant bowel disease. One of the things that makes COVID deadly is that can lead to a nasty inflammatory reaction in the body. The inflammation can cause all kinds of health problems. Doctors at Cedars-Sinai Hospital here in Los Angeles looking into the prospect that anti-inflammatory drug therapies being used to treat inflammatory bowel disease may help patients recover from coronavirus. Chris Seedens talked with the study's senior author, Dr. Dermot McGovern, about those findings. It's an interesting study that uh, we were thinking about um, some of the medications that we already use uh, as part of the treatments for other diseases to see if they could be useful in COVID-19. Of course, we've got specific treatments for COVID-19 coming along, and we're all desperately hoping for successful vaccinations and so on. But it would be great if we could find something that was already out there that we could repurpose and use to, to um, help patients with COVID-19. So I understand that this drug is being used to treat inflammatory bowel disease? Yes. So this drug, uh, infliximab, and other drugs like it are used to treat a, uh, a number of different autoimmune diseases, of which inflammatory bowel disease is one, but it's widely used for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis and, and other autoimmune diseases as well. 
I understand this involves attacking a specific enzyme. Maybe you can tell me a bit more about that. Sure. So COVID-19 or the virus that um, causes COVID-19, so SARS-CoV-2, um, has to uh, use uh, a piece of our, mach- our cellular machinery to get into cells, and that's the enzyme called ACE2, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, if we're being specific. And so the, we need that ACE2, and the virus has, has uh, adapted to use this uh, enzyme to get into the cells. And uh, this is where our research has been focusing to see what is the effect of infliximab, this drug we've been talking about, on those levels of ACE2. There's been no clinical trials yet. Is that something we might expect in the near future? Yes. I mean, more work needs to be done, and and I'm I'm grateful to the uh, National Institutes of Health who've given us uh, a large grant to to follow up our study um, so that we can actually do a little bit more work here um, to to build on what we found. But but no trials have been done yet. Um, Interestingly, other medications that have been used or are being trialed to treat inflammatory bowel disease and other autoimmune conditions are currently in trial for COVID-19. So this potentially extends that story. Doctor, to put this in perspective for our listeners, just how promising is this? Well, it's promising on a number of different levels, the, the findings from our study. The first thing is that, uh, the, that some of the data from our study supports what we're seeing in clinical practice, which is that our patients who are treated with these drugs, and this is true both in inflammatory bowel disease, and, I, and I've seen data from psoriasis uh, patients as well, um, actually may be protected from the more severe forms of COVID-19. So that's extremely promising and, and, and is of great reassurance to us and our patients because we were very worried about our patients who were taking these types of drugs and, their, and the potential effects of COVID-19 on them. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the biology that we've discovered uh, really supports what I've just described, what we're seeing in clinical practice. And so with, with further work, um, we potentially could uh, bring all of this together and say we really must be doing a clinical trial. And why that's, why that's very, very promising is that this drug has been around for a long time, more than uh, a decade now. Been, millions of people have been treated with it. And so we understand how to use it. We understand its safety profile. Um, and, and as I said, it's widely available. Doctor, thank you so much for this. You're very welcome. We're still waiting for the presidential election results as we wait and 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 wait. Wall Street investors are making moves. Are they hopeful about a second coronavirus stimulus? KYW's Matt Leon talked to David Fiorenza, professor at Villanova University School of Business, about what can be expected in the next few months. The Senate has hinted very heavily about this and saying they would like to do something before Christmas. And I said to myself, well, why didn't you do something (laughs) before Labor Day as we talked about this? Uh, That would have been the perfect time to do it, right after summertime, people going back to work, school, uh, getting ready for various holidays. Um, It would help out the stimulus. It would give people more of an incentive to want to shop for the holidays, for whatever Christmas holiday they celebrate. We have yet to talk about unemployment. Um, 
750 new unemployment claims last week. However, the October jobs picture overall, pretty good. 638,000 jobs added. Unemployment down to 6.9%. Kind of round the edges of this unemployment picture here, where we still get these extraordinary claims. But then on the other hand, it looks like things are, are loosening up. That's true. We have two sides of it. Every time I see positive economic news, I'm very happy. But I want to caution everybody that there are so many industries that are still hurting, such as tourism, hospitality, entertainment, and sports. Uh, there are industries that are ramping up for Christmas time. They're hiring people in the tech field, uh, places that are going to be online, all these kinds of things. Uh, you're going to need a lot more consultants next year in various businesses because some people have been laid off. And what they do is they'll bring back people as consultants uh, and not have to worry about things like pensions and benefits. I'm seeing a lot of that happening. I like the unemployment number at 6.7 in that range. That's a great number. I want to also mention that the real unemployment is probably closer to 12%, meaning that people are underemployed. They're working part-time, wishing they were working full-time, and they're working in jobs with wages that were less than they were when they had their full-time jobs last year. They had to settle for something less. We haven't talked about the virus, but it's raging. And a lot of this news has gotten swallowed up, understandably to a point, by the presidential election. But we're seeing numbers across the country. Uh, I, I think there's going to be a reckoning with the virus coming as far as new restrictions. I don't know what that's going to look like and where it's going to look like. But I also feel like our society's not quite expecting it like we were several months ago. And I think that could create some economic problems, wouldn't you think? That's true, Matt. I'm so glad you brought this up. What are the numbers? What is going on? I think the news has been so concentrating on the election. And that's what, right, like you said, what rightly so happens. But let's let's be cautious. Let's look to the governors of these states to see what they're going to do in the next two weeks, the next month, the next uh, six, seven weeks. Let's see what happens. Uh, and let's see if they pull back. Let's see if they continue to keep the same restrictions. It'll be very curious. And hopefully they can get the word out about this, too, as well. Yeah. And the timing of this, you know, we've talked about holiday shopping. And if you were to combine you know, some maybe not full lockdowns, but more restrictions put to try to fight the virus, right, as we're rolling into holiday season, uh, that's going to be a tough needle to thread, I would think. That that will. Uh, the retail industry will have to go back and rethink like they did when they first opened up the stores. They were open up for minimal hours. They were bringing people back to work in the stores uh, as sales associates. But part of their job was to fill online orders at those stores, as well as man the doors and, and make sure people had their masks on and, and make sure they had the hand sanitizer and give them rules when they walk through the door. And there's probably going to be more restrictions when you go shopping at places like Kohl's and Costco and, and Target and Walmart, where you can only have a certain number of people in the store at a certain time. Um, you kind of reference this, and honestly, I can't remember if we were talking about it on the air, off the air, but the, the housing market and what are you saying and what are you expecting to continue to see? Well, I'm seeing great numbers with the housing market, and I'm really pleased with the housing market. That's because the Federal Reserve has lowered interest rates so much that people are buying. People are also refinancing their mortgages. But you know what, Matt? 
there comes a time when that stops <laughs> because just the volume of it, you, you usually only refinance once or twice in your lifetime and you're not going to get a lower rate than two and a half percent to 2.99 at this point. So the Federal Reserve is saying, let's look at beginning of next year because we cannot have just housing carry the entire uh, industries of everything in the United States. It has to be other industries that have to step forward. And I hope once uh, we start opening the economy up next year, that other industries will come back to uh, 50% instead of 25%. And that will take away the pressure from the housing industry. What do rattlesnakes and COVID have in common? Well, it turns out that there's a connection of sorts. Emergency room doctor Matthew Lewin found a drug used to treat rattlesnake bites that has saved the lives of mice and pigs might be able to help people with COVID. Turns out the drug has a positive effect on acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is associated with COVID. So what is the link to a snake bite? The inflammation of the lungs caused by the coronavirus produces an enzyme. It's a less lethal version of the same enzyme produced by snake venom. The drug inhibits that enzyme. Now, there will be human trials next year to see if the drug works in acute respiratory distress syndrome. The Radio.com app, you can find us there. Also, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stay well. Stay well.